0: On today's episode of Locked On Canadians, Shane Wright and Kent Hughes will meet for the first time. Uh, we've got some questions about Laval and their mix of veterans and prospects as they go in to the Eastern Conference Final. We'll preview that. And we're back with some player reviews. Is Joelle Armia going to be a part of the Canadians next season? All that's coming up on today's episode of Locked On Canadians. For Locked On Canadiens,
1: your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Everyone and welcome to episode 625 of Locked On Canadians, your first listen of every day. We're free and available every weekday talking about your Montreal Canadians. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered with more sports, props, and odds and lines this season than ever before bet online is where the game starts and where we start is we are your hosts my name is laura sab also known as the active stick and i'm joined as always by scott matla of hab's eyes on the prize and it's prospect heavy it's laval heavy scott the latest episodes are right up your alley aren't they
1: yes um it's a shame that i'm currently fighting with the pay-per-view provider to try and order one wrestling pay-per-view tonight my brain was Uh, When I was supposed to be doing a little bit more research, uh, eating dinner, I was busy fighting with them, but I am very excited. We are coming into the best time of the year when it's the draft, the A1. It's very odd that the Canadians have an AHL playoff team right now, this deep into the season. Uh, we We are in my realm of knowledge, or at least where I pretend to be, and I don't have to play pretend prospect expert all week. Uh, We've got a couple of big guests lined up. We have Tony Ferrari coming on this week, and we have Byron Bader to talk about the Canadians' prospect pool and how his tool and analysis that he has put together is also a part of, and pick his brain on that and what the Canadians can do to get even stronger. But Laura, the big news this week is, again, uh, relating to Shane Wright, is it not?
0: It is. And here's the thing is that I I also want to tell our listeners, you know, if there's anyone that you can think of that's a prospect expert or a player that you want us to ask the experts about, please feel free. You can send us an email to lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. We will try to get the guests that you're trying that that you would like us to talk to. And we will try to bring up the players that you want to with the relevant experts. We've got five weeks until the draft. So we've got plenty of time. We're going to try our best to get the guests that you uh, request. And Tony Ferrari is a much requested guests all over, uh, the lockdown network. We love hanging out with Tony. Um, and we're very excited for his episode. So that's coming up tomorrow. And then, uh, the episodes with Byron Bader, we're recording it this week. So we'll let you know tomorrow around when, uh, we can expect those epi- the episodes to drop. Uh, so real quick, um, we're talking about Shane Wright. The combine is this week. I literally when when Scott was like the combines this week, I was like, what? Like, it's already June? We're getting so close. It's it's so, it, it's always in Buffalo every year. Uh, and uh, this year, the, in advance of that, I think uh, Kent Hughes will be meeting with Shane Wright. Is that not, tr- is, is that correct? Uh,
1: yeah, the report that's come out is that uh, this week with obviously the combine kicks in, they're going to be doing their testing all week. Uh, they do the final round on Saturday and then a bunch, I believe there's 96 invited prospects this year as of right now um then afterwards get interviewed while breathing heavily and sweating and smelling terrible by a bunch of people like myself unfortunately i will not be there this year so all the fun draft content that i usually get out of that i have to pass on this year i have a good reason i will be at a wedding for some of carly's law school friends so there is that but kent hughes will sit down and meet chain Wright this week obviously this is a formality they meet with I believe as many prospects, the Canadians always interview as many people as possible under the previous regime. They were always the one who asked weird questions about, if you have, if you are locked in a room and behind one door is this and one door is this and one door is this. And it's, it's always the stuff that makes people think and be creative. And it, it feels a little bit like psychological torture if I'm being quite honest with you, but it's it's the next thing, and I believe it was on TSN 690 and a couple of other places that reported it, is that despite the interest in Juras is that the Canadians are almost assuredly picking Shane Wright, and Hughes meeting with him feels, like I said, a lot like a formality and also a no-duh kind of situation. Like, it's not really news, but it's kind of news, but not really, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like, since I've been on Shane Wright train since the season ended... It's not like, wow, look at this. They're meeting with the guy they're going to pick. Duh. Uh, Of course. (laughs) So.
0: Yeah. it, It feels like a rubber stamp. But I think this is the thing is that I think we've established through all of our conversations with our guests by now and all the discourse and all of that. We've established that Shane Wright is the consensus number one, right? It's it's a, a minority of people that think he's not. And when I say minority of people, I mean minority of people with that expertise. A lot of fans think he's not. But people with the actual scouting, drafting expertise um, are sort of, you know, it's the consensus pick is Shane Wright. And I think with the Canadians, they still wouldn't want to meet with him no matter what, to see what they're getting in terms of personality, right? In terms of intention, in terms of willingness to work with the team on a development plan. Like you get those ideas when you meet with them. And so now's the time, like all the GMs are going to be doing it with, they're, they're going to be meeting with the the, the uh, eligible draft uh, prospect. I think now's a really good time for the Canadians to do that. And now's a good time for us to mention a question that we unfortunately overlooked a couple of weeks ago from listener Corey DeVoe. Uh, and the question is, Uh, If the Canadians are to pick Shane Wright, do we think that he will become better than Nick Suzuki?
1: It's Admittedly, this is tough because I've watched a lot more of Nick Suzuki than I have of Shane Wright, but I look at their profiles and how they play and how they do things, and I don't think Shane Wright has the same potential offensive ceiling that Nick Suzuki is. Nick Suzuki in a bad year still put up, uh, what was it, 21 goals and 40 assists this year. And in a good year with a fully, you know, I don't want to say functioning, but, you know, on fire Cole Caulfield, you're going to see both of those numbers likely increase. And I can see Nick Suzuki being an 80, 85 point player. I don't know that about Shane Wright at this point and at this juncture with Shane Wright not even being drafted yet. I don't see him being better than Nick Suzuki. He might follow a similar trajectory, but Nick Suzuki in the OHL was putting up hundred point seasons, ninety point seasons. I will be very curious, and obviously that was in a full regular year. It's kind of hard because Wright was interrupted by COVID twice. It there's some lost development in there. Uh, I'd be re- I would love to see what Shane Wright could have done without that eighteen months not getting wiped out, but As of right now, I don't think he's going to end up better than Nick Suzuki, and that's not a slight at Shane Wright. That just means Nick Suzuki is a very high comparison. Same with Patrice Bergeron and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He might be the best Shane Wright. That doesn't mean he has to be the same as another player, though.
0: Right, and I will say though that we we spoke we spoke to scouting last week. We had a two part episode with scouting, so you can check back to those episodes because they're really interesting. And I will say that uh, we kind of suggested the Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, uh, comparison because that's coming up a lot in in a lot of the discourse. But I definitely feel like the prospects that were sorry the experts that we're talking to feel like he has a much higher ceiling than Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Now, I also think that he he. Nick Suzuki had a head start right like Nick Suzuki had more identified flaws in his game at the time that he was drafted but he had a head start in that he didn't miss those 18 months of hockey that a lot of the OHL prospects have right so I think it's very dependent on the Canadians development plan and I think it's very it's 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 highly dependent as well on whether Shane Wright sort of like seizes the opportunity and grows in the way that the Canadians want him to, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you can have uh, both of them as your one-two and you're sitting pretty and uh, it'll be the top two centers that, like the center depth will be good just by default because they're the two top. uh, And a lot of teams will have like a little bit of envy for that kind of center depth. Now that's, again, it's far into the future. It's not an exact science, but if you're asking our opinion, I personally think that he could reach Nick Suzuki, but I feel like Nick Suzuki is going to surprise us and be a a superstar, like a superstar. And and I just, I think it's just based on the NHL play. It's a little bit of recency bias and all of that. So we're going to watch that and develop that. And you know what? We can ask some of our prospect experts that in the coming weeks. So thank you, Corey, for your question. And sorry for the delay. In the meantime, we are going to talk about the Laval Rocket because we have another mailbag question that we moved over from Friday. And we're going to talk about, is the Laval AHL vet slash prospect mix ideal or not? That's coming up in just one moment. But first, as we mentioned, this episode is brought to you by bet online our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest odds news and sports developments including this year's basketball playoffs major league baseball scores fights and even next season's nfl futures bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs esports and more head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action bet online is where the game starts So, Scott, just before we start, we get into our Laval Rocket question, uh, I wanted to mention a quick recommendation for people in Montreal. We don't do this very often, but sometimes something blows us away, so we will share it. This weekend, I had the opportunity to go and uh, and have lunch at uh, the uh, in St. Anne de Bellevue at this place called Le Bienheureux uh, Comptoir Gourmand, so check it out. Definitely go. The service was amazing and we loved it. And like, you know, we've talked about the Montreal recommendations that we're going to be providing as we lead up to the draft. This is one of them. It's not exactly in Montreal. It's a little bit far. But if you're in St. Anne, that's the place to go. Uh, real quick, Scott, we got a question last week that we did push to this week's episode. Uh, specifically because we wanted to spend a little bit of time on it. And also we now know the Rockets opponent. The question comes to us from Dubs 93 this has probably been spoken about, but for the Laval Rocket, is this the right balance for AHL vets and legit Habs prospects? I've seen some comments on how there's too many vets and need more prospects, but I feel this could help build a winning mindset for prospects. What are your thoughts?
1: So uh, I, I want to, before I dive into the Rocket as a whole, because I, I was supposed to write this article for Eyes on the Prize and I got waylaid and work's been insane. So it's kind of on the back burner for right now. The Rochester Americans, who they swept in three games, almost four games, if you count the triple overtime in that, were a team that relied heavily on their young prospects, their Casey Fitzgerald, their Jack Quinn, their Peyton Krebs, their um, JJ Paterka, R2 Ruotsalainen. And in the series against the Rocket, the only one who managed to score more than once was JJ Paterka who had three goals over three games and including that was with two in one game. Ruotsalainen had one goal at the end of game two. When they couldn't get going, the team had no answers and that's a problem because the vets then came up big in game three for them, but so did the Rockets. And I'm looking at their playoff scoring right now, Laura, um, can you name me the two players who are tied for leading uh, playoff scoring on the Rocket?
0: Um, Danik Martel and, oh, uh, is it Cedric Paquet?
1: No. So number two is Sammy Niku. They no both have way! Eight, they both have eight points in eight games. jean Sebastian D is seven and eight. Uh, Louis Belpidio is seven and eight. Alex Belziel has six and eight. Cedric Paquet has six and eight. The, the highest scoring like prospect in here is Jesse Alonen, who has four points in eight games, which and here is the thing about that. The prospects have not played badly. The top line between Rafael Harvey Pinard, Jesse Alonen, and Jean Sebastian D could have a lot more goals than they already do. And that's fine. They've played well. They're controlling the play. When they were on the ice against Rochester, the pucks are going on net. They're keeping the team seven. They're not playing badly there's a little bit of veteran know-how that makes things happen. And I noticed it a lot as the game went later and later in game three, is that when things aren't going the way for younger guys, some of them get frustrated. Jack Quinn has no goals and two assists in 10 games from the playoffs for the Amherst. He had 61 points in the regular season. He was a lethal scorer. When things stopped bouncing his way, he took frustrating penalties, made decisions where he's choking up on the stick and we're not seeing that with any of the young Rocket players. Even Matthias Norlinder, who is unfortunately injured, didn't panic with the puck. Maybe a little bit in this first game, but things kind of balanced out there. The balance is what it needs for the playoffs right now. There's going to be more prospects in the next couple of years. And admittedly, yes, I would like to see more prospects. And remember, Justin Barron was supposed to be here originally. Emil Heinemann had joined the team, but was not able to play because he's recovering from a concussion. Riley Kidney is with the team. He's skating as an extra. And before anybody wants to crucify the coach or yell at him for anything, why are you go- you don't need to change a lineup that is working right now. All four lines are doing their jobs. All three pairings are doing their jobs. It's perfectly okay. I would like to see Riley Kidney play. I think I'd like to see what he can do in person. But at the same time, there's not a need for him right now. And the balance for getting through the playoffs is important even if some of the younger guys aren't playing a big role, they're seeing what needs to be done when you're in the playoffs and to get success at the AHL level here. You you can't swing too far in one direction or the other. The Chicago Wolves go very heavy on signing AHL vets to lead their team, and that's why they're so good year after year after year after year. And other teams go young. You look at the Amherst, you look at the Rocket in the past, once you got to find that balance and they have it now there will be more prospects and then we'll see what JF Houle can do with that i'm not overly concerned about it because people can point that oh alex belzio is playing top 6 minutes and riley kidney's a scratch yeah and they're winning that's you're in the playoffs at this point it's about winning games you're past the need for development first you're trying to win a calder cup now you had that balance in the regular season and now it is time to You go out there and you win games. That's what you're doing right now.
0: I think there's an important thing or a couple of observations that I had was that in the past, in the past, I'd say like the recent past, let's say the previous were in office. Sometimes it felt like the way that they treated their AHL team was like, well, we have to have one. And then we have to find a coach for it. And then we have to find staff for it. And then we have to find players for it. So they would like dip into the AHL veteran pool. Um, But I think that, you know, after Joël Bouchard kind of whipped the team into shape a little bit, uh, and JF Hull now, who seems to be doing a really fantastic job, they're starting to realize that the AHL team can serve a purpose not just you have to have one and like that's where some of your prospects are going to play and all of that like I think that they're definitely uh understanding that there needs to be a philosophy but that said I feel exactly the same way as you Scott and I think a lot of this conversation kind of came about because of the Marlies finding so much success because that the the Leafs had so many draft picks uh and prospects that were staffing those those winning teams which I think is also fair but at some point, you have to have such a team that the younger players can learn, right? Like, they have to have the experiences in order to make them better and more well-rounded players. So I think that's so, so important. I do feel that people are kind of, like, I, it's not that I think that the criticism is invalid. I think that in a perfect world, you would have your prospects be amazing and be the AHL team. But that's not how injuries work. That's not how in today's day and age COVID works. That's not how learning works. and um, They can't play.
1: Ooh, So I actually had a point that I didn't think of when you actually, you made me think of something, which uh, you said that if they could, they would make the entire AHL team prospects in a perfect world. Part of that is the CHL-NHL agreement, which bars players under the age of 20 from joining that And at a certain point, like we look in the past at a guy like Mitch Marner, who is clearly too good for the OHL, but wasn't good enough for the NHL at that point, or the Leafs didn't want to put him on a bad team. The AHL is the next logical step there. And I'm wondering if that ever changes in the future, because I look at some of these guys, uh, I look at like Joshua Wad dominating, uh, the, uh, uh, the QMJHL this year. I, Arbor Jack, I could have played for the Rocket this year because he was over the age of 19 or would have been at a certain point in the season there. That's how like Nikita Sherback was able to do that. I would like to see that change a little bit if it's you know, if it's 18 or 19. They had a thing this year that if they were a first-round pick and they played in the previous year. They could come back. So Caden Gooley would have been eligible, et cetera it's a step in the right direction. And I think if you open that up and allow more prospects, you're going to see more first round picks, not go directly to the NHL. And you're going to see AHL teams one, get a little bit more respect, I think because a lot of people dismiss it as a goon league still, and it has bad moments. So does the NHL for God's sakes, but you know, that's a a rant for another day. If that transfer agreement changes just a little bit, I think you're going to see a lot more opportunity for younger players and you're going to see the league continue to shift that way. It already is. You do see teams with a lot of vets, but more and more, it's younger guys who are generally leading the way on teams needing that or rebuilding teams at the NHL level anyways.
0: I agree. And so there's the answer to the mailback question that turned into a full segment. And obviously, as always, we will be following the the rocket. I was going to say the racket. Um, I don't know where that came from. Uh, the Rocket uh, playoff, uh, playoff, I guess, Eastern Conference final. Uh, and, and we'll see how far that goes. It's an exciting time in Laval. But also, we have not forgotten our player reviews for the previous season. They're still ongoing. We're making a list because now we've forgotten who we have reviewed and who we haven't. Uh, but in our next segment, we're going to talk about Yoel Armija and whether he will be a prominent posi- like part of the Canadians team or if he's getting traded away in the offseason and what's the future for that and that's coming up in just one moment all right scott yoel armia gold medalist now at the ihf worlds um not a great regular season some personal issues apparently were a factor in that now he's thriving, uh, and he's one of the contracts that most people want off the Canadians as soon as possible because they're in a rebuild, and he makes quite a bit of money. And he had not—he didn't contribute a whole lot in the regular season. So let's, let's talk about that. Why are you making a face?
1: So I'm looking at his stats right now. I'm on Elite Prospects, and uh, in 60 games this year, he had six goals and eight assists for 14 points. He had 14 points the previous year before having eight points in the playoffs. He had 30 points a year before that. I think we need to reassess what our idea of Yoel Armia is. And for context, for Finland at the World Championships, after you know he had been home with, I believe, his wife or long-term girlfriend and their newborn child, he has five goals, three assists in 10 games. And he's been – I don't hesitate to say this. When he's using his shot in this tournament – He scored nothing but ridiculous goals. He shot it through a space like this to score a goal against the United States yesterday, which also shout out Sean Farrell. He also scored a goal in that game. Very proud of small goals boy part two. I look at Yoel Armia and I think this year was tough because one he had I still think he was suffering some long-term effects of COVID, which is not fair of me to speculate, but I look at the lethargy, the lack of energy and all this other stuff. And it just kind of makes sense that that might've been it. Uh, I'm hoping that I do kind of hope they keep him around because I feel there's more use for Yoel Armia than there is a Mike Hoffman because Armia can play defense, quite frankly. Um, I I'm very curious because We saw how good he can be in the playoffs. Yeah, he put up eight points, but he was in 21 games, but he was playing as a fourth liner. And he was on that line with Corey Perry and Eric Stahl, who basically single-handedly ran over the Winnipeg Jets, scored some big goals against Toronto, and were ruthlessly annoying against Vegas. And it was an ideal line there. And yes, unfortunately, he's paid a little bit too much because he got paid on his previous performances. I think there's still a talented player there, and I also think because he's versatile, has tantalizing size for any team, and offensive talents that we've seen him use a lot, I think there's more value for him for other teams in becoming like a Valerie Nachushkin, who played a little bit in Dallas, went to Russia, came back and signed with Colorado, and became a very good I don't want to say depth as an insulting piece, but he's behind Landeskog and McKinnon and Kadri and all these other insane pieces. I think Yoel Armia can be that. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's a, does Martin St. Louis solve this? Or are they going to go, we're getting this contract off the books. We have so many people calling about this because allegedly there were rumors around the trade deadline for it. I, I would be sad to see him go just because I think there's a player there. But at the same time, I understand not wanting to wait and figure it out and potentially tanking what trade value is there. But the world championships are kind of serving as that window into he could be this good. He could be a 35, 40 point middle six guy, but he's not that consistently. And for a team like the Canadians, they can't really wait to find out when that's going to be.
0: Right. I absolutely agree. And whenever we think about him or talk about him, I think about the time you and I were both on Game Over with Andrew Berkshire. And and Andrew made the point that think of how effective Yoel Armia would be if he were mean. And that's part of it is that he's a gentle giant. And so I feel like personally people's frustration with him is that sometimes it feels like he should be tougher to play against and he's not always that. I do agree with you that he is versatile, but the other side of that is that he's inconsistent. And I'm okay with that. I I personally, I think that they should bring him back, not try to trade him in the offseason. They should bring him back and hope that he has a good first 20 games or so. You don't need to wait until the trade deadline. You need, to, you, need, you need him to show his value a little bit to a team that can make use of his versatility because let's be honest, the Canadians are still going to be tanking. I mean, not on purpose, but they're just, they're not going to be that great. And they're, they're going to be, it's in their best interests to have a higher draft picks in next year. Like that's, that's, that's just the way it is. You know, unless you can transform this lineup in a few easy moves, that's not happening. It's not going to be a great team. So you could get more value for him if he performs well. The risk with that is that he might have one of those slump downturn type beginnings to the season. That's what I'm worried about. But I don't think they should be in a hurry to get him off the books. I think that they can get value for him and also get him off the books a little bit into the season. I like him a lot as a person. Like he seems like a really chill guy. And like, I felt really bad because, you know, like he was, he was criticized a lot in this market. And that's, that's fair. He didn't play well. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I want to see the best for him and I, and I want the Canadians to get good value for him. So for me, my player review is that, yes, he had a disappointing season, but he has shown like he did in the in the in the Worlds, so that he has capabilities that the Canadians can make use of if he achieves his potential every year. I think there needs to be a little bit more motivation, a little bit more discipline there. Um, and again, we don't know if he had any health issues or anything like that. But I think I think he can. He can prove us sorta of right <laughs> in that he can he can he can bring value to this team, um. And I think that's it. Are there any parting thoughts?
1: I had one parting thought is that ironically, if Yola armia played mean, he'd be Josh Anderson with a better shot. Um, I'm not wrong. And here's no, the. No, you're thing. not.
0: I, that's brilliant.
1: I, I, someone's gonna yell at me about that is because one, Armia is not the same skater as Anderson. Anderson is a very powerful, agile skater. Armia is more I. It's almost like watching a a Clydesdale in that it's he, majestic. He looks
0: like a T-Rex, doesn't he? Doesn't he's he he's like a, a large t-rex? guy.
1: But the thing is, <laughs> his shot when he is able to utilize it properly is so heavy and quick. And I wish that he could get that shot to work more often because when he does, he's beating goaltenders clean. And if he brings a little meanness to his game, and I know that's not his thing. He plays a very heavy cycle game, where Anderson is crash, bang, go to the net. I think that he needs to work with St. Louis on, you know, just finding those spaces to operate him because I think there is still a useful player there, but um, it remains to be seen. I don't actually think he's going to make it to the regular season there. I think someone will bite on that contract or he will go in part of another deal for something because there's a lot of value to be had there. So um, that is that is my parting thought for Yola Armia today.
0: So our other parting thought is do not forget to tune in for the rest of this week because we have one of our favorite people, Tony Ferrari, coming on and we'll ask him. Somebody asked us to ask about uh, about Connor Geeky, so we'll ask some of our experts about that in the future. Uh, possibly even Tony Ferrari on our on our next episode. Uh, we also have Byron Bader and we are in the process of lining up some of the people that you've requested for prospect expertise. So please check out this podcast. Subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. Also subscribe on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter. Or at LO underscore Canadians. If you'd like to follow Scott, he's at Scott Matla. If you'd like to follow me, I'm at The Active Stick. Um, you can always email us at LockedOnCanadians at as we said, so you can suggest topics, uh, players you want us to ask about, mailbag questions, all of that. We're so open to your ideas and we hope we're bringing you some things that you want to hear. Um, and in the meantime... Once you're done with this podcast, check out Locked On NHL where they're covering the playoffs and every angle of everything that's going on within the league. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow.